Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. Uh, Parenting your challenging child. Today's a parents panel day. And um, two of our parents panel members are already ready to go. We'll bring them on in a moment. Um, But you should feel free to call into the parents panel. We had a Actually, an exciting development on the educators' panel yesterday. We had a uh, student call in, completely unplanned. Uh, a student called in just by happenstance. He was um, he was surfing through various prob- uh, programs, and uh, he found uh, collaborative problem solving at school, and um, called in. And uh, his was a. Uh, happy ending, at least so far, story. He, um, not in the beginning, though. Early on in his uh, school years, people didn't believe that he had difficulties. Later on, he kind of figured out for himself that he, his difficulties that he was having at school were the real deal. And um, he ended up on medicine that is helping him a great deal for symptoms of ADHD. And uh, that got us going on the educators' panel. Um, never had a student call into either of the programs before, and um, it was actually kind of fun. So, um, you know what? We often don't take calls on the parents' panel, but we're happy to do it today. That number, again, is 347-994-2981. Of course, it also turned to a discussion based on an email question that the educators' panel was responding to about how important it is to believe what a kid is telling you in the empathy step of plan B, how crucial it is to truly believe that the child has legitimate concerns, has a legitimate perspective. We, as uh, Tom, one of our educators panel members said, uh, texted me at the end of the program, That program could have gone on for another hour or two with us talking about the uniquely adult tendency to be skeptical about what kids tell us their concerns are. The the uniquely adult tendency to believe that the kid is making excuses or making something up or being manipulative or whatever. And, And it's not that there aren't manipulative kids. It's not that kids don't sometimes make things up. It's just that you got two mistakes you could make. You could believe that what the kid is saying is legitimate and accurate 
um, and be wrong. And here's the good news. That'll come out in the plan B wash because while you're drilling for information in the empathy step, well, either what he said originally has legs or it doesn't, but if it doesn't, whatever he says next that does have legs as you're clarifying his concerns in the empathy step of plan B. The other error is to believe and let the kid know that you believe what he's saying is a bunch of hogwash. And then he's not going to talk to you anymore. I prefer error number one. Error number one isn't going to come back to haunt you. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. You move forward in the empathy step and move forward through the rest of plan B onto unsolved prob onto solving a problem that really isn't about what we thought it was about and the solution won't work. And then you're back to plan B to figure out why. And on your return to plan B, the first step is the empathy step where you're trying to gather more information because apparently the information you had early on in that first plan B wasn't as accurate as it could have been. I, I don't worry much about getting lied to. I don't worry much about being misled, Not certainly not with the kids that I work with. I worry a little bit more about that in the adults I know, but some of the adults I know, but let's bring our parents' panel on. Susie, how are you today? Good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am well. Good. Sharon, Sharon, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I am well. Good. And Peter, how are you today? I am fine as well, Dr. Green. Our parents panel is now complete. We have our trio. And this is our second to last parents panel of the year. We take a break over the summer, of course, so we better make good use of our time. I always start our parents panel by asking our parents panel members if they have anything on their minds today that they'd like to bring up for discussion. Susie, why don't you go first? Um, you may not have anything, but we're giving you the first crack at it. Actually, I I do. Um, but just in response to what you were saying, I just wanted to add um, that I always say, listen to your child and trust your instincts. And maybe this example might help someone, but um, as I've mentioned before, our middle son was extremely challenging and difficult. Um, And we took him to a mental health professional here in town, and I um, kept hearing from my son that things just weren't going well and, it, you know, he didn't like the, the therapist and it was a waste of his time. Oh, by the way, the the therapist was um, weekly berating me that I needed to be tougher and stronger and not uh, take his disrespect. Well things, instead of getting better, got worse, and our son started to deteriorate. And I suppose after, 
you know, two or three months of giving it a try, I I had this little voice that was saying, you know, it's not working, but at that time we just really didn't know what to do. We uh, ended it a few months later um, and uh, was able to see a different therapist who was outstanding and things very, very slowly got better. But the other thing I love thinking about CPS, excuse me, so I was just wondering, I was thinking if you can collaborate too much, if you can go overboard with working it out, children who are raised on CPS, what kind of people they become? Where do you draw the line? Is there a line? Uh, It looks as if parents are either too strict or too indulgent. And I was just wondering if you or the parents panel members wanted to um, talk about that. Uh, I'd be delighted to, but because you're a parents panel member... We're going to give you the first crack at answering those questions. Gee, thanks. Can you collaborate too much? You know what? I I don't think you can. I I have, um, not to sound corny, but I have taken collaborative problem solving, and it's just become a way of life for me. It's a f- philosophy that makes sense, and I think the the skills that it teaches are invaluable. Um, Parents panel members, Sharon, Peter, Susie has weighed in. Well, I, I um, collaboration in general is uh, a good thing with your children, your family, uh, but sometimes I feel that... Uh, I don't want my kids to have equal weight in things. Sometimes I feel like I there's uh, certain things that I expect and want from them, and um, and with all the collaboration that's going on, sometimes I feel that uh, we don't get to the place that I would like them to get to at any given time. But for the most part, I mean, I think it's one... What I love about uh, collaborative problem solving in general is that you actually talk and have a discussion and you communicate. So I think that's that's like the best part of it. Peter, what do you think? I think it improves the communication. I understand what um, Sharon was saying about uh, the kids tend to... Uh, well, it, it gives the impression that they might um, want to have more authority or equal authority as a parent, and I do have some concerns about that. Um, but in general, mo- when when the kids are, are heard more, they, they tend to uh, think through problems more carefully, and and so parental authority is, is not really, doesn't even come into the picture. Um, I did have a question about how they would respond to situations in school or outside when um, somebody isn't uh, willing to collaborate with them. How, how how do they respond to that? Well, I I had a son that was very stuck, so 
so without um, problem solving, it was very, very difficult. So, you know, I guess this is why it's so important for educators to be familiar with this and to know that there is another way. Um, but kids also do have to understand it at some point in life that uh, someone else is going to make a decision that they might not like, and they have to learn how to reason with themselves on how they're going to react to it. And I think hopefully that comes with maturity. Um, we hope. I actually but, think uh, it comes with collaboration. Collaboration, yeah. I think in general my, my children have had um, much improved skills in collaborating and in the situations where they run into people who aren't um, kind of receptive to collaborating, uh, they they tend to uh, draw on those skills more. I, I understand that perhaps it's a criticism of or a, a person who uh, wants to criticize collaborative problem solving will say it, it's not uh, realistic. They need to be exposed to the real world, but um, I think they actually, through collaboration, they, they build the skills that give them more skills in the real world rather than less. Yeah, I think uh, we collaborate much more in the real world than we blindly adhere to authority. But, it, you know, it's hard to talk about the real world generically. If, I, I think it's kind of practical. Let's say an adult has an expectation. We have to remember that plans A, B, and C are responses to unmet expectations, unsolved problems. So if a kid is meeting our expectations, we're not doing any plan because we don't have an unsolved problem. If a kid isn't meeting our expectations, we need to figure out why. So I don't want to leave there any lingering confusion. Just because an adult has an expectation doesn't mean they're doing plan A. Plan A is one response to a child not meeting our expectations, and that response involves unilateral problem solving. And that means the adult is deciding what the solution is. So I don't want to have there be any confusion here. If a kid isn't meeting our ex if a kid is meeting our expectations, we don't need a plan. If a kid isn't meeting our expectations, you've got three options. A, tell the kid what the solution is. And what we adults do when that doesn't go very well is we usually add adult-imposed consequences to the mix to incentivize the kid to do the solution we've decided will solve the problem. That's plan A. Plan B is when you're gathering information from the kid about what's getting in his way and why he's having difficulty meeting our expectation. And the solution we come up with is collaborative, and it is an informed solution because both child and adult have gotten their concern or perspective onto the table. Plan C is where we're prioritizing, and we're saying, you know what? We don't even care about that unsolved problem right now. we got bigger fish to fry. So I just want to make sure we're being clear. The question, can you collaborate too much, can you solve problems collaboratively too much? Is it ever a waste of time 
to find out what's getting in a kid's way on a particular unmet expectation and involve the kid in the solution. The parents' panel has weighed in. But, Susie, you went on to some other questions that you thought we could talk about. What do these kids turn out like? Yeah, what sort of uh, people do they become? And is there a line? Do you draw the line? Um, Oh, parents are either too strict or too indulgent? Well, I guess here again I'm not sure what too strict or too indulgent means, but let me put it in the parlance of collaborative problem solving. Can you Mm -hmm. do too much plan A if that's what too strict means? Yes, that's what it means. Can you do too much plan C? And I'm reluctant to have plan C be synonymous with indulgence because plan C is really prioritizing. Right. But can can parents drop too much? Um, I don't know if even that's what indulgent means. Can can you give your kid what's indulgent mean? I'm I'm, I'm stuck on that. Um. It's not plan C because, as you just said, that's realizing that it's an unsolved problem, but you're letting it go for now. I think it's just capitulating. How's that? And, capitulating. And, and, Can you and capitulate give, too much? And giving in. Got it. Because the kid's making your life miserable. Got it. So now these are your questions. We're going to throw them back to you because that's the, that's the privilege you get if you – ask questions on the program, you get to go first. (laughs) Um, Can you do too much plan A? Absolutely. Yes, you can. Karen? Hello? (laughs) Um, um, Well, yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes you feel like you're in a time restraint or sometimes you don't have the energy that you don't feel like having this sort of collaboration to to a degree where it's going to go into a I mean when you're in a rush and you don't feel in a collaborative mood yes you can do too much plan A We've settled that How about capitulating too much even though that's not plan C Susie Um I think when parents don't understand the challenging behavior or fail to see it as a uh, disability in growth and development, um, I think that they can, yes, I think that they can just give in and uh, do what the kid wants. Yes. Peter? I I think um, too much Plan C only makes, uh, it only becomes an issue when you're not actually doing Plan B. So if you're Hmm. you're just letting things go and you're not doing Plan B, then it's too much Plan C. If you're choosing your battles carefully, if you're choosing the priorities carefully, then Plan C is important to be able to focus on the most important Plan B. Great point. And the truth is, um, that's that's talking about Plan C as the as what Plan C really is. 
and I want to make sure we're not confused on this as well. Plan C is the C of Plan C doesn't stand for capitulating. Capitulating is when you start by imposing your will and end up caving because the kid made your life miserable. My bet is that, Peter, you agree that you could do that too much. Yes. Sharon, I think, Sharon. Yes. Um, I agree. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I... No, but, but the thing about Plan C is that sometimes if you don't want to make every little thing an issue, like, um, and you just ignore it, then sometimes it does come back to bite you, you know where. Where it has long, <laughs> it has long lingering effects. You know, when it was like, don't make food an issue. That's not the issue. Let them eat this. You know, if they want ice cream for dinner and it's not going to cause a fight, you know, get go through the big picture. But sometimes, you know, those those habits just sort of linger. So um, and they they create other sort of bad habits. So I don't know. I find that it's sort of like. I walk. I used to walk a line and see. Well, and if C is prioritizing, as Peter said, then... Well, how about when everything is like a... You know, sometimes there's too many priorities, but, you know, that's, that was just my instance with my child. Um, you know, and every child, of course, is different. Right. But, you know, for, for, the, for the general public or, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, I agree. Well, challenging uh, kids do have more unsolved problems than most kids. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there's the temptation to work on so many of them at once because there are so many that you end up solving none of them. Exactly. And, and that's what Plan C is for. But I, I mm-hmm. just want to be clear. True Plan C is prioritizing and saying, here's the things we're working on, here's the things we're not. The things that we're not, that's Plan C. Capitulating is actually not part of collaborative problem-solving. Um, one of the big theories about why challenging kids are challenging, and this is not collaborative problem-solving, is because their parents capitulate too much, and the kid has learned that his challenging behavior, his tantrum, will cause the adults to capitulate. But in collaborative problem-solving, there is no such thing as capitulating. You're either working on it and you're collaborating, or you're not kind of simple that way. Yeah, but when you look at it also, for instance, if you if your child um, you know, doesn't want to eat what you're eating for dinner and you don't want to make it an issue and you let them, you know, eat what they want, therefore you're having a peaceful dinner with everyone sitting around and eating and happy. Yep. You're not really giving in. You're just no, That's right. You know, you're, you're prioritizing. You're prioritizing. So right. As Peter said though, it's a win. Hopefully. You want a win-win, as you used to say to me. You don't want right. a win-lose. You don't want a lose-lose. You'd like a win-win. Right. Plan B is win-win. Mm-hmm. But as Peter said, if that's all you're doing, so it's not just dinner. It's homework. It's what time your kid gets out of bed. It's mm-hmm. time your kid goes to bed. Now you are working on nothing. Right. And now you could be doing too much Plan C. Um, Correct. Because you're not working on anything. Correct. I agree. Susie, you had one more question. What do these kids turn out like? And we're going to have to use our imagination on this because I'm not sure we have great data on this yet. But, Susie, what's your sense? What do 
kids who get a lot of Plan B turn out like? Um, my children are a little further down the line than Peter's, probably about the same age as Sharon's. Um, I would say we have been um, implementing Plan B in our house for 11 years now, and while it's not always perfect, I I think that I have kids who are more flexible and willing to listen to the other person's side and working together to figure out a solution that works for both of them. So I've been... I think they're turning out in this department very well. And I have a son who's had a job now since the beginning of December, and when he's told to do something, congratulations he does it. to both yep. of you. He does it without you know question. You know he might come home and make a little comment to us about it, but usually not. And um, you know was rewarded by a very nice comment from the gentleman he works with saying that he's doing a great job so I think in the long run when you are when you take the time to work things out with your child um, they learn to be better listeners and to um, be more productive much more so than they would have been if you know we hadn't done this Peter, I just have to tell you, um, you know, this is after years of uh, doing collaborative problem solving, but it wasn't always smooth sailing. In fact, it took, in our case, a couple of years to get the plan B ball rolling. And actually, it things had to get worse before they got better. So while I'm here to tell you, Please don't give up hope. Um, okay, thank you. It it you know, it's an adventure. Yeah, we and, hit rock bottom a few times, and um, you know now things are really better. In most cases, nothing's perfect, but in a lot of ways, things are better than I thought they could be. That's exactly right. It's never perfect, but it does get better. Yeah, and, you know, for every positive accomplishment, you have to relish it and enjoy it. And Mm -hmm. then when there's, you know, slippage, uh, you can't get too down because, you know, you've seen the positive that comes out and you, you know, just know that it's going to happen again. But, you know, you have to also be a realist and know that things aren't going to always be, you know, rosy and wonderful. As long as you understand that in your head, then uh, life can be very enjoyable. And, and that's why, you know, we you choose either a therapist or a family member, clergy, um, someone that you can talk to. And now we have this wonderful website and the parents program um, to give us the support. That's right. Back in my day, I felt there was very little support. I used to, you know, cry to my friends and 
and there wasn't a lot of support, but now there's so much out there, and there's so many children with so many problems and issues and needs, you know, more and more. And luckily, there's more places for people to go, parents to go to get assistance. So I'm Mm -hmm. very pleased about that. You know, Sharon, you just brought up a lot of children that having so many different needs, and they're uh, writing about the increase in autism. Right, I was looking at that. What was it, 1 in 80? But but the interesting thing is, yes, um, they don't punish or consequence their kids when the kid has... Um, can't communicate their needs. They just the opposite. They're trying to understand and and figure out what's getting in the way and helping the kid get the help he needs. Right. Well, we've been doing at our house collaborative problem solving for a relatively short time, but I'm certain that we're far better off than we would be if we weren't using it. Um, now I have a child, when first three years of elementary school, he didn't want to go to school. He just, oh. it was really a struggle to get him to school, my older son. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year we have had almost no no issues. Um, oh, that's wonderful. He, he's late uh, once every quarter, and that's it. Gets himself to school, and I'm, it's been a big difference. That's wonderful. We have other problems to work on, of course, but... Those are There's always stuff. <laughs> you know, once you get through with one thing, Peter, something else, you know, pops up. You know. Yeah, that seems to be the case. You no know, rest of the weary. Oh, the I other, say, we, this, oh, we went to spring break recently, and we, we had a really nice spring break. It was one of the uh, few vacations we've had in a long time. It was really, really enjoyable. We had relatively minor problems. Things came up, but they they weren't the same intensity or the difficulty that they've been in the past so it it was a really nice change sometimes i find when we go away my kids are just fantastic i think it's just sort of getting out of your house going to a new environment and uh we've really never we've always had really good vacations which is which always used to surprise me and uh, when my husband would say, you know, oh, I don't think we can take another vacation next year, or it might be, I'd be like, no way, we're taking one no matter what. <laughs> it would always be like a, a week of like peace and quiet. You know, the kids got along, there weren't the distractions. You know, when you take them out of their environment, they just seem to um, flourish. You were lucky, we never had that. <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know what? Years ago we did not, but uh, you know, my son got a lot of help when he went to boarding school, mm-hmm. and when he got his, he was in a fairly, you know, uh, controlled environment, and he, you know, got help that he needed. And so when he came home, he really, you know, put that help to good use. So that was that was great. Well, I think we've covered Susie's questions. Thank you. Peter, we do have an email that we could respond to today, but Peter and Sharon, anything that you both wanted to bring into today's parents' panel discussion? Uh, you know, I just wanted to bring up a point that we, you know, you were talking about how kids aren't believed necessarily. You know, my younger son, 
um, is is pretty smart, and he does have an IEP. He is ADD, and uh, his executive function skills are pretty pretty low, uh, but his intellect is pretty high. So, you know, trying to narrow the gap. Um, but he does have teachers that really don't believe that he needs the the time or needs the help that he's getting with his support because they can't, you know, they just think that he might be lazy or, um, you know, he's just sloppy, and, and they don't see it. You know, he's been tested twice in the school and out of the school, and they had the exact same results. Uh, so, you know, it's, it doesn't matter they? whether they're younger or they're older. Um, you just always have to, I guess, advocate and just I'm always trying to, you know, he doesn't. He, it's hard for him to speak up for himself because he'll just say, "Oh, well, the teacher doesn't care, or the teacher doesn't listen." So whether they're in grade school, middle school, or high school, you just have to continue to advocate for your child. I mean, they're always your child, no matter how old they are. So that's my my sort of dilemma that I've been dealing with. Hmm. That's exactly well, for- right. You have to be the squeaky wheel for your child. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It never sort of ends, you know. Um, but you know, I feel you know. I used to not want to call up and not want to bother them, and now I'm like, not the case at all. I'm like, I, I, you know, when my kid is wronged, I just am not happy. So it's 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 really sad that teachers don't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's just so many kids that want extra this and extra that that they just don't know who to believe. Um, what do you think about that, Dr. Green? I think that the there's no downside to believing a kid. Mm-hmm. I think that even if the kid is BSing you, you'll figure out what he's really trying to say in the empathy step of Plan B, where you're drilling for information. But if you give the kid the impression that you don't believe what he's saying, um, you'll never get to drilling for information because he already feels like he's not believed. And if I put myself in that kid's shoes, if people don't believe what I'm saying, quite right. frankly, I don't really see the point in continuing the conversation mm-hmm. because they don't believe me anyways. Yeah. Now I'm on the defensive. Now I'm wondering if the next thing that comes out of my mouth they are going to be equally skeptical about. And that is not conducive to having kids give us the information that we're looking for. So I always believe, but I'm also very confident that as we're drilling for information, it is highly likely, as always happens when we're drilling for information in the empathy step, that our understanding of the first thing the kid says will become more refined and will become modified but not if he's not talking. He's not talking. There's no refining going on because he's not talking. That's what I think. Okay. Mm. Peter, anything to throw into the mix today? Uh, a couple of things. I'm. I think that uh, my my children right now are in a good place. Um, and what I mean by that is that uh, we have a very good relationship with both of their schools, and that's. It's taken time to build that relationship. Uh, I've gone to the trouble of joining the parent councils of both schools and 
making sure to get involved in the school. And and uh, with, in my older son's case, we have um, we're having fairly regular meetings with his teacher just to touch base and communicate. So that that foundation is there. If we have a problem, it's really easy to solve with the school. And getting that school component was so critical for um, making things work this year. It was so so important. Um, and so we're seeing really really good results now. Um, we're collaborating with both the school and us, and and the the children are are more open to collaborating now. Excellent. And you, I think you said you had two points. Uh, the second one was uh, um, when we had uh, our vacation this um, this year for March break. Uh, I thought it went very well. Um, we were away from the stresses from home and and. Uh, I think the the problem actually we're having is returning back to school or back to home. That's when we're seeing all of the challenges coming up again and and I think we're just uh adjusting to that. Uh but that's all I had to say. Okay. I think I'm gonna take our last seven or eight minutes here and read you all this uh email that I've received. Um and let's see if we can um Give this mum who's emailing us some guidance. Ready? Ready. Sure. Hello, we have a seven-year-old son who is in the first grade, and I'm writing to you in hopes of getting some information, confirmation, and ultimately resolution to an ongoing battle between our family and those other adults that our son, I'm going to call him Sam, deals with on a daily basis. We've had opinions from preschool teachers, caregivers, etc., including current teachers who always say that there is something wrong with Sam. He's had over five different developmental evaluations, three behavior type evaluations, hearing speech evaluations, etc. Every time someone offers an opinion that something is wrong, we get the results that ultimately show there is not anything wrong, but rather the opposite. Sam, academically, is ahead of his peers in math and is reading at a second or third grade level. Where he's having issues now is emotionally, behaviorally. He's very hard on himself, is actually quite a perfectionist. He feels it's not okay to make a mistake. Unfortunately, he started in a private school that gave him the message that it was not okay to make a mistake. It was not okay to feel certain things, unfairness, unsafe, etc. Because he was not allowed to feel, we sought the help of a licensed play therapist to see if she could offer some ideas about how Sam processes things. We've read books on highly sensitive, highly spirited children, which all seem to try to define him to a T. The therapist offered CPS and Plan B as a place to start to try to help Sam and us work through his unsolved problems and moving forward. Most of the problems are at school. A lot of times he will shut down and not communicate at all with his teachers after he's had a complete meltdown. Or when asked what the problem is, he'll simply say, I don't know. Now I'm going to add some editorial commentary here. That sounds like emergency plan B, if it's plan B at all. Back to the email. Usually this resolves around handwriting assignments. I think we're starting to get some unsolved problems here. Mm -hmm. However, their mentality is that he's mentally capable of doing the work, so he just needs to do it. (laughs) But through listening to the radio program, I'm learning that it is obvious that it's not the work that is the issue, but the unsolved problems that are overwhelming him and inhibiting him from completing the task. Actually, I think that the specific work he's having difficulty completing, those are the unsolved problems, but let's keep going here. We're just starting this out, 
and have filled out the lagging skills section, but now we need to follow through with the next step. Currently, we have these lagging skills, transitioning from schoolwork to recess. Actually, I'd call that an unsolved problem, and back to schoolwork. Handling disappointment, editorial comment, that's a little vague. He wants to be perfect, and when he's not or makes a mistake, chaos is abundant. I'd want to split that one into other highly specific unsolved problems, the exact things he wants to be perfect on. And having a difficult time when others do not follow the rules he knows are set for all. I want him to have success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want him to have successes and learn the skills of self-regulation and not getting so overwhelmed that he cannot decompress when he's at school and therefore causing his day to continue to go downhill. Just a little bit more here. I guess at this time, my only question is that since we've now completed the lagging skill sections, we need to look at what causes the unsolved problem and work toward possible solutions, correct? Maybe not, but we'll talk about that in a second. I think that with most of the adults that work with them are seeking a diagnosis rather than a solution to the actual problem. I have tried to convey to him that he is a bright, somewhat gifted child and needs guidance and to feel a part of everything. He is a child that has never responded to reward or punishment. He wants to feel cared for, understood, special. He sounds like the ideal plan B child. That's in the email. Um, wow, that sounds like my child. Sounds like your child? My youngest um, one. Very, yeah. very similar. And the very end of this email is, how would giftedness possibly fit into lagging skills? Thoughts? <laughs> All right, parents panel, we have about three minutes here to weigh in to help this mom and her son, who are pretending his name is Sam. Wow. Who wants to start? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, she shouldn't give up. She shouldn't despair. Yeah, don't don't give up. My, my son is in grade one. He's doing work at the grade three and beyond level. Um, has very high perfectionistic tendencies, uh, anxiety when things don't uh, work out. He doesn't afraid to make mistakes. And um, what we found that helps is to really focus on um, what we've worked really closely with his teacher on the perfectionistic portion of it, the fact that he doesn't like to take risks, Um so she the, her his teacher and my wife and I have have um really given him the opportunity to um sort of take the projects down and tr- to try to break them down into smaller and smaller pieces so that he can be successful in small pieces and also not successful in small pieces so that he doesn't feel like he's taking such a big risk so that it's not an all or nothing proposition for some of his work so if uh, my son, for example, is working on something and he makes a spelling error or something, he he might want to throw away the whole piece of work, and and she's she's trying to help him just uh, work on correcting that small piece of it so that the rest of the work can be considered acceptable. Um, so that that's just one example of one unsolved problem that we're we're working on. Um, I think that and, um, she's overwhelmed by all these different things that are going on. And she yeah. needs to be with some professional person that they can prioritize what what are the most important things that they should um, try to square away, you know, at first and work with the school. I don't know. When I hear about the writing thing, sometimes if the child's given like the alpha keyboard instead of having to write, 
that makes a huge difference. I mean, she's, there's a lot of things. I mean, a lot of them sound so familiar to me as well, um, except she's lucky that her my kid had a hard time holding it together at home as well as school. So, uh, but she, you know, really needs to find a good advocate that's going to work with her in the school on how to make him feel comfortable and how to meet his needs. Susie, you have about 10 seconds. Any 10-second words of wisdom? Um, I agree with Peter and Sharon. Uh, I was just going to say that it's great that the mom found uh, early intervention and CPS. Um, She might want to buy books for one or two people that she thinks could be helpful in the school system. Um, and invite her to call in. That's the parents panel today. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you all next month, and we'll have another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child next week. Talk to you all then. Bye.